I'll be reading from James 3, starting at verse 6 and working our way through to verse 18. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Hey, everyone. Uh, what you can't see at the moment uh, is that just down here, Em is trying to beat a hasty retreat, but her microphone is snagged on the chair. It's the magic of television, seamless and perfect. I hope you've had a good weekend, uh, even with everything that's going on. I've, I've had a great weekend. This weekend, we celebrated my quarter birthday. Now, look, I realise not everyone celebrates their quarter birthday, but the thing is, I just really love presents. And we realise that I get a present for Father's Day in September. I get another present for Christmas in December. And then I get a birthday present in March. And then there's this, this six-month wasteland, this, this stretch of hopeless, meaningless, presentless existence. And so we've decided that in order to get me through the winter months, we need to have my quarter birthday. And that's what we celebrated yesterday. And let me tell you, we, we partied hard. I, I pushed the boat right out there. I went straight to Maitland, to a nursery, and I bought myself a shrub. Now, that is how the middle-aged people party. That was this weekend. Last weekend, we watched one of those movies that you can't help but love more every time you see it. I don't know if you've seen it. It's The Hunt for the Wilder People. Have you seen it? If you haven't, you'd, you have got to see this movie. I think it's kind of like... New Zealand's answer to The Castle. You know how The Castle is one of those movies that it pokes fun at Australia, but it does it affectionately. It pokes fun at that kind of bogan Australian culture, but you end up loving it more because of it. And that's what The Hunt for the Wilder People does for New Zealand culture. And just like The Castle, it kind of has the, the New Zealand or the, the slang that's part of it. You know how the castle's got all these Australianisms in it? It's the same with the hunt for the wilder people. So one of the things that it talks about is skucks and the skucks life, which I had never heard of. Um, and it sounds kind of rude, but it's actually, you know, that whole idea of 
gangster chic, you know, the, the gangster lifestyle, living as a rebel, as an outlaw. That's what the Skucks life is. It was kind of, I kind of like to imagine myself living the Skucks life yesterday. As I went to that nursery and I didn't just buy one shrub, I bought two. That's the Skucks life. But another, um, another of the phrases that's really big actually in the hunt for the wilder people is this phrase, the knack. Well, they, they don't pronounce it the knack, they pronounce it the nook. But if you talk like a normal person, it's the knack. And we use that phrase as well, don't we? In the movie, the knack is a way of figuring out how stuff works and how to do things without having to think too much about it. The knack is know-how, isn't it? It's practical knowledge. It's knowing how stuff works and then knowing how to make the situation work with it, how to do its practical skill. You don't get the knack from theoretical knowledge. You get it from practical skill, doing it again and again. You might get it from someone showing you. You get the knack by observation. And look, some people just do have a knack, don't they, in life. Some people just have a knack for making stuff with their hands or fixing stuff. They just understand how machines work. Some people have a knack for making money. They go through life and they always, everything they touch seems to turn into money. They understand finances and money. Some people have a knack for social situations. You know, they just kind of know how to be popular, know how to navigate their way. They always seem to be in the best conversation at the party and you think, how do they do that? Some people have a knack for relationships. They know how to make friends. They know what people are thinking. They are able to get inside people's heads. The knack is know-how. It's knowing how things work and being able to turn it to your advantage. And actually, you know, the knack is a really good description or definition of wisdom. We don't usually think of wisdom in these terms. We often think of wisdom as, you know, kind of old men with long grey beards talking about inscrutable parables and things that you can't understand. But actually, when you read the book of Proverbs, wisdom is incredibly practical. Wisdom is this practical knack for living in our world. So Proverbs is a really practical book, isn't it? It gives you the knack for how relationships work. Rescue a hot-tempered one person once, and you'll have to do it again and again. That's one of the Proverbs. Proverbs gives us the knack for how money works. Get your fields ready, then build your house. Proverbs gives us a knack for how words work. A gentle, hand, a gentle answer turns aside wrath. How work and rest works. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. See, wisdom isn't this kind of theoretical book knowledge. Wisdom is practical know-how for living in God's created world. It's having a knack for life. You might even think of it as street smarts, which is why often we're tempted to think that Christians aren't very wise. Because we have a theoretical knowledge of the world from the Bible, but often when you think about it, Christians don't seem to get how the world works, especially how the sinful world works. So Christians are often kind of oblivious to the, the relational political games that people are playing, aren't they? At work, they don't, they don't even spot that people are stabbing each other in the back. Christians are often not good at spotting things like office politics. We're often not very good at making money. In fact, often Christians will be thinking, you know, it's kind of wrong to know how to make money. It's kind of wrong to be financially savvy and wise. That's something that Christians shouldn't know about. 
Christians often, we're a bit naive when it comes to dealing with people, aren't we? We don't expect people to rip us off. And so tradesmen, dodgy tradesmen come and, and rip us off. Christians can be a bit innocent in the ways of this world. In fact, Jesus even says that, doesn't he? In the parable of the dishonest manager, Jesus says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than a people of the light. See, Christians are often not very shrewd. That word in the Bible, it's prudent, it's cunning. It's kind of that worldly practical wisdom. In fact, in the ancient world, Christians were kind of known for being a little bit gullible, a little bit easy to rip off. There's this famous book from around about 170 AD called The Passing of Peregrinus. And Peregrinus was a con man. He was a charlatan who managed to get rich at the expense of Christians. Let me read some of it to you. In a trice, Peregrinus made the Christians look like children, for he was prophet, cult leader, head of the synagogue and everything all by himself. When he was thrown into prison, the Christians regarding the incident as a calamity left nothing undone in the effort to rescue him. Every form of attention was shown him from the very break of day, aged widows and orphan children could be seen waiting near the prison, while their officials even slept inside with him after bribing the guards. Then elaborate meals were brought in and sacred books of theirs were read aloud. Indeed, people came even from the cities in Asia, sent by the Christians at their common expense to succor and defend and encourage the hero. Much money came to him from them by reason of his imprisonment. The poor wretches have convinced themselves that they're going to be immortal and live for all time, in consequence of which they despise death and even willingly give themselves into custody. Furthermore, their first lawgiver, which is Jesus, persuaded them that they're all brothers. Therefore, they despise all things indiscriminately and consider them common property. So if any charlatan or trickster comes among them, he quickly acquires sudden wealth by imposing upon simple folk. That's Christians. We're simple folk. Not street smart, not worldly wise. And you can actually imagine something like that happening during COVID, can't you? You can imagine someone coming to our church and presenting this sorry tale of woe. I've lost my job. We're being thrown out of our house and I really need my, and, and us just going, oh, we really need to love you. And all the while they're just taking us for a ride because that's kind of what Christians can be like. Uh, we're not very worldly wise. We don't spot it when we're being used. We don't have the knack of making lots of money. We don't have the knack of using social situations to our advantage. And so it's easy to kind of despise Christians as not being wise, isn't it? We're the gullible fools. And that's where James speaks into today. See, in our passage today, James shows us two kinds of wisdom. There is a wisdom that comes from heaven. And then there's a wisdom that is earthly, it's unspiritual, it's satanic. But the difference between those two is not that some people have wisdom, know-how, the knack, and some don't. No, the difference is who the wisdom is used for. We're going to say Christians are wise, but just in the service of a different master. But let's start by looking at the earthly wisdom. Have a look in verse 13. Who's wise 
and understanding among you. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. So here is the earthly wisdom. James calls it unspiritual. He, he calls it demonic. This is the human knack, the satanic knack for life. But the first thing I want you to see is there is a kind of wisdom here. The NIV puts inverted commas in there, but there are no inverted commas in the original. There is a wisdom here. Now, the thing is, it's not a good wisdom, but it is a kind of wisdom. There's a knack, a know-how, a street smarts. But notice who this wisdom is used for. It's used for me. It's used for me getting what I want out of life. So look in verse 14 again. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. See, Satan's wisdom is all about bitter envy and selfish ambition. And both of those things are all about looking after number one. They're all about me getting what I want out of life. So envy is where I see what other people have. And I'm not glad for them. I'm not glad that somehow they've been blessed. No, I'm, I'm bitter about it. I'm bitter about the fact that it didn't come to me. And so I resent them and I'm jealous of them. And I want what they have. I'm selfishly ambitious to get my hands on it. I want what I want out of life and nothing's going to get in my way. No one is going to get in my way. And so I build a plan. I get all the education and all the skills. I get the knack of life. But all of it is to look after number one. That's worldly, unspiritual, satanic wisdom. And look, you've met people like that, haven't you? We've all met people like that. Now think about work for a minute. You know that person at work who is absolutely determined. They are gunning for the job of the person above them. They're selfishly ambitious for it. They're jealous of everyone else's success. They want to hoard the success for themselves and they'll do anything to get ahead. They'll stab anyone in the back. They'll take any good idea and pretend that it's their own. They'll, they'll pass their failures off onto someone else. And they're great at office politics because they view the world in terms of allies and enemies. And you gather your allies and you look after the people who look after you and you smile to the people who can give you something in return because you never know when you might need someone. But then when the time comes and you've got your enemy at work in the position where you want, you're ruthless. When you've got your foot on their neck, you crush. And when the time comes to break alliances, well, it's okay to stab someone in the back, isn't it? Because it's not personal. It's business. Sometimes you've got to do what you've got to do to get ahead. And look, that person will often be incredibly successful, won't they? This is the person who often becomes the CEO because they know how the game is played. They've got the knack of workplace politics. They're really wise in knowing how things work. It's just that they're wise in service of themselves. That's 
satanic wisdom. Well, you'll see it in things like social situations like school or uni or in family life. The person who just knows how popularity and, and social cachet works, social stuff works, they know that in order to be friends with the popular people, you've got to dump your less popular friends. You've got to always be knowing what the cool new show on Netflix to watch is, the cool new music to listen to, the cool clothes to wear. And they'll say horrible things about other people because they know that the best way to make yourself look better is to do it at the expense of someone else and they'll stop being Christian in order to be more popular. And again, some people are really good at it. Remember those people back at school who are the most popular people at school? They just knew how the game was played. And they can use it to their own advantage. Now, of course, what kind of world do you end up with when you have this kind of wisdom, this kind of know-how, knack? Look in verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. When everyone's looking out for number one, you end up with the kind of disorder and every evil practice. And the word disorder there is actually the word chaos, turmoil, anarchy. Everyone's chasing what they want and it's a desperate scramble to get to the top, whatever the cost, whatever the human cost. It's a world where you can't trust anyone. It's a world where we say, look, everyone is just out for what they can get and they'll do whatever it takes to get it. See, that's worldly wisdom. Using that knack that understanding of how things work to look after number one, to rise to the top of the heap. But James says, behind that success is a trail of human wreckage. Broken relationships, bitterness. This is worldly satanic wisdom. So what about God's wisdom? How is God's wisdom different? Well, have a look in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And now down in verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. See, James says, here is a different kind of wisdom. This is a wisdom that comes from heaven. And this wisdom is characterized by different things, not selfish ambition. No, this wisdom is characterized by things like humility, submission, mercy, sincerity and and peace and at this point the person who is worldly wise reads those things and says what are you kidding me humility submission mercy you'll never get what you want to do with those things no one gets ahead by being merciful to their enemies now when you get your enemy down you crush him no one gets ahead by being submissive you've got to grab the job of the person ahead of you What on earth is wise about any of these things? Well, what's wise about them is the one thing that every worldly wise person forgets. It's this. 
there is a God. There is a God. And the worldly wise person forgets that because they've become their own God. Everything is in service of them. But the wise person knows that there is a God. And that God created the world. And that God rules the world. And that God is going to judge the world. And so that God is to be feared. All the way through the Bible, the foundation of wisdom is fearing God. So Job 28, 28, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Psalm 111, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. Proverbs 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 15. Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord and humility comes before honour. See, wisdom is knowing how the world works. But the most foundation stone of wisdom is knowing that there is a God who created this world. The wise person knows that there is a God who created this world. There is a God who rules this world. There is a God who judges this world. And so that God is to be feared. And so what does the truly wise life look like? Well, verse 13, it's good deeds done in humility before God. Verse 17, it's being pure because God is pure. Verse 17, it's being peace-loving because God loves peace. It's being merciful because God is merciful and I want him to be merciful to me. It's submissive. Because I recognize that there is a God that I submit to. See, here's the thing about wisdom. It's not that Christians are gullible. It's not that Christians don't understand how the world works. We saw earlier that sometimes, and in fact, in the past, Christians have had this reputation for being kind of gullible as if we don't understand the way the world works. But Christians can understand exactly the way the world works because we have God's word. Proverbs tells us practically how the world works. In fact, the whole of the Bible tells us how the world works. It tells us what to expect of people. It tells us what to expect of creation. The Bible is this one wonderful manual for wisdom. And so, of course, Christians can still be good with money because the Bible helps us to be good with money. Of course, Christians can understand social situations and relationships because the Bible helps us to understand people. It's not that Christians are unwise It's that we don't use wisdom in service of self. I don't use wisdom to make my life better in bitter envy and selfish ambition. No, wisdom is to be used in the fear and service of God. The difference between Christians and the world at this point is not that Christians are unworldly and unwise and gullible. It's that wisdom is in the service of God and not me. And also, wisdom is in the service of other people. Because you see, the second thing about this wisdom that's from heaven is, it's incredibly other person-centered. Worldly wisdom is all about me first, bitter envy, selfish ambition. But did you notice how much God's wisdom focuses on other people? So if you've got a Bible, have a look at the qualities in verse 17 again. They're all really other person-centered. Mercy, 
peace-loving, considerate, submissive. They're all about how I treat other people, aren't they? It's not using wisdom to serve me. It's me using my understanding of the world and my wisdom to serve you. Because when you think about it, that's what our God is like, isn't it? Our God is Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, eternally loving and serving each other. And our Lord Jesus became a human being and did not come in order to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Our God is the servant. Our God is the one who is other person centered in the Trinity, in the incarnation. Our God's wisdom is all about loving and serving others. And so again, the difference between Christians and the world here is not that we'll be gullible and that we won't understand how the world works. It's that we will use wisdom in order to serve others and not destroy them. So let's go back and, and think about work for a minute. The Christian is still going to be wise and shrewd and canny in the workplace. They're going to spot the person who works hard and the person who doesn't work hard. The Christian will often know who it is in the workplace that's got real influence and real power that sometimes is not the boss, sometimes it's the other person over there. The Christian will spot the ambitious person. They'll be able to read people's motives. Proverbs is going to help us to do this. The Bible is going to help us to do this because it teaches us about people in the world. It's just that we won't use this wisdom and knowledge and knack for ourselves. No, we'll use it for other people. We'll use it to submit to our boss and to make his life better. We'll use it to show mercy to help the less able co-worker who's drowning in his work and rather than ruthlessly push him to the side, we'll actually love and serve him. We'll understand the office politics that goes on, but instead of being part of it and gathering our allies, we'll work towards being peace-loving. We'll work towards being sincere. We'll work towards being impartial because we fear our God and we love other people. Well, let's think about the, the kind of social situations for a moment. The Christian knows how the popularity game's played. We know that popularity is often about shallowly pretending to be friends with the right people and being mean to the unpopular person. Because again, Proverbs teaches us what people are like. It's just that we'll show mercy to the unpopular person. We're friends with the people who need a friend, not the one who can make me more popular. We're sincere, we love peace because we'll end up with far better relationships as a result. This is what church is meant to be like, isn't it? It's the same with something like money. Often we get the sense that it would be kind of wrong for Christians to understand wealth. To, it would be wrong for Christians to have worldly wisdom about how wealth can be accumulated and invested. It's almost as if there's something dirty about that. But no, Christians will understand wealth. It's part of God's world. The Proverbs tell us loads about wealth. Christians will understand it, but we will use it for a different master. I had a great conversation with a friend on Friday. An old friend, a person who knows more about accumulating money than almost anyone I've ever met. He's a, an incredibly wealthy man. Multiple millions of dollars and a great businessman. Except, you know, as a Christian, he's never spent his life accumulating that wealth for himself. What he did was he set up a foundation. And he spent most of his adult life distributing money 
to people that he can see will make a difference. And you know, when he, he just recently retired, one of the things that he did was he gave each of his children a really, really significant sum of money, not for them to spend on themselves, but for them to set up their own foundations in order to support other people. You see, this is wisdom, know-how. It's a knack for making money, but it's wisdom from above because it's not used in service of self and selfish ambition. It's used to love and fear God and to love other people. You see, the difference between the Christian and non-Christian is not wise, unwise and wise. The difference is the master we serve. Really, Jesus nails this, doesn't he? It always comes back to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says to his disciples, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, which makes the disciples seem like they're going to be the victims, doesn't it? Look what he says. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. You see, God's people can be shrewd. Anyone who reads God's word carefully will end up shrewd. We'll know people, we'll know the world, we'll know situations. We will be as shrewd as snakes and yet we will love and fear our God and we'll love and serve others. Let's pray that that's the kind of people we're going to be. Let's pray. Our great God, we praise you because wisdom is in your hands. You created our world and you rule it and it runs according to your principles and we thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you that it teaches us about people and human nature. Thank you that it teaches about the creation principles of work and rest and seasons. Thank you that your word teaches us about money. We pray that we wouldn't scorn the wisdom of knowing how the world works. We pray that we would have a knack for all of those things from your word. But we pray that we would be like you as we use it that we wouldn't be in service of self, glorifying ourselves in bitter envy and selfish ambition. We pray instead that we would be like our Lord Jesus, who truly was as shrewd as a snake, understood people perfectly, and yet was as innocent as a dove, hanging on the cross for sins he did not commit, for crimes he did not do, in service of us. Amen.